Sometimes I feel like this is a trick. My brother Dahadi Lewis, Pastor Dahadi, feels like he tricked me, sabotaged me or something. He assigned me these texts and these topics, kind of spicy and controversial. First, when I came here, I had to come out of 1 John 2. It was about don't love the world or the things in the world and beware of antichrist. I saw people leave on me. The next one was who are true believers out of 1 John 5. And it was all about exposing false believers. I saw some people tip out on me. Eventually, I came back and I had to come out of a, t a title called Repent or Perish out of Luke 13. It was all about the necessity to repent. <laughs> Saw some people leave. Came back, Luke 14, unless you hate mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. I said, what's going on? And today, I get to preach about hell. This is a trick. If I was in a black church, you know, like traditional black church, I'd say, I want to talk to you around the subject, how to go to hell. Because our text is insight into how to go, but it serves the purpose of warning us not to go. Ah, I'd do that too if I was there. Ah. But instead, I want to focus our attention around the idea of time and eternity. Time and eternity. A Pew Research poll, those are people that conduct polls of especially certain groups, and of course, in America, they found that 73% of people in America believe in heaven. Again, the clarity of what that means may vary, but they believe in some kind of heaven. 62% of that same group believes in hell. One in four Americans do not believe in hell or heaven, no matter how you describe it. What I find interesting is that of the people who believe in heaven, less people believe in hell. And that might be because hell is less desirable than heaven. And so we would love it if heaven were true and hell were not. And I just want to say today that our text brings us before the concept of both a life in time and a life in eternity. When I say heaven and hell, those are really just words to describe life beyond this place with God and life beyond this place without God, heaven and hell. We'll talk about it a little more. And so in our text, Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31, we're going to look at a contrast of two lives, a contrast of two eternities, and then we're going to take, get some takeaways about time and eternity. Follow me. The text was already written, but let me just remind you of how it starts. 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. 
And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fell with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The text introduces us to somebody called a rich man. This is a parable. In parables, they usually don't give anyone names. In fact, this is the only one of the parables of Jesus where somebody in the story is given a name. Usually you don't have a name because it's, it's stereotypical. It's, you know, there was a rich man. This is a story for the sake of a point. There was a rich man. And so we're introduced to a rich man. But we want, he wants you to know that he's not just rich, he's filthy rich. It says that he was clothed in purple. In this context, to have something that was purple would require a uniquely expensive process where they would get a unique kind of snail fish and they would basically get the secretion from the snail and it would create a dye and it would then, some people only had a strip of purple because that was expensive. This person was clothed head to toe in purple purple. Not only that, it says fine linen. That's either the inner lining of whatever he made out of purple or they also find linen also refers to undergarments. So what Jesus is saying is, well, this man not only was decked out in purple, but he was Gucci down to the undergarments. Today, people say that Gucci and flip flops. I mean, I'm hot. I go from top to bottom, even my, my flip-flops are Gucci. He's filthy rich. He has money to blow. And the text wants you to know it. And I don't know about you, it says not only did he dress well, but he ate well. There's a slang term, oh, we're going to eat. <laughs> Feed me, let's eat. Me and my compadres, we're going to eat. And that means that we're going to live well. We're going to indulge ourselves I mean, we're talking about somebody who lived in luxury every day, Michelin chef, five-star meals. We're talking about somebody who needed servants to come because when you live like this guy lived, people were always at your beck and call. A person like this would have the who's who at their house. Oh, come on, let's go to the rich man's house. He dresses in purple, he's got Gucci flip-flops, and he eats sumptuously every day. And if he brings you in, he lets you eat what's on the table. Oh, we're just talking about the rich man. And then the text says in verse 20, and he's got a gate. Oh, he lives in a gated house at the gate. So that means that this guy has fine wine, he fine dine, probably fine women, fine guests in his own little world gated. In other words, Jesus wants just to paint the picture that this guy is a rich man and in their culture, the richer you were, the more righteous you were perceived to be. Actually, in the Old Testament, there is this false, there can be this false understanding of prosperity theology. That if you're righteous, it will be so plush for you. And if you're unrighteous, it will result in poverty. So this man in their culture seemed blessed. He seemed righteous. He seemed victorious. It seemed that he's living the good life. And for us, we kind of would be the same way. We would think that if you're winning, if you're looking like he looks and you eat like he eats and you know who he knows, that you're winning. The text puts that before us. Then in comes a contrast, the poor man. At his gate was laid, verse 20, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, 
who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So he's brought in as a contrast, an antithesis. In the story, this guy never speaks. The rich guy can't be quiet. In this story, Lazarus is not at this party. Lazarus doesn't share in this luxury. He's called a beggar. He's not the rich man. He's a poor man. He doesn't seem blessed. He seems cursed. And yet the text tells us what his name is. His name is a derivative of a name, Eleazar. Lazarus is a form of a name that says, the one whom God has helped. In other words, this is supposed to make you say, huh? How is this the guy that God has helped? I mean, he's not at the party, he's at the gate. He's not eating the food, he wants what falls off the table. He's not with the in crowd, he's with the dogs. Lazarus, the one that God has helped. In fact, it says that he was laid by the gate. In other words, Lazarus is one who's been helped by men to be laid at a gate so that he could be helped by people whose food fell off the table. The text says only people he got surrounding him were the dogs. This is a contrast in two lives. Who's blessed? Who's winning? Well, the crowd that Jesus is talking to in this context includes the Pharisees, and the text said earlier they're lovers of money, and they believed that they had money because they were God's righteous ones. Of course, you know that God is getting ready to pull the rug from under them, so he introduces them to the great equalizer, death. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice, we're still looking at contrast, aren't we? The poor man dies, that's all this said, and then he leaves, he, he, he's out of here. The rich man dies, and in time, he gets buried. The poor man, no doubt, was probably just carried, not only from the gate, but now he was carried to Gehenna, which is a way of saying to the dump where they burn trash. So the, 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 the Lazarus, is he dies in time, and then he's not buried, he's trashed in time. But the rich guy, it says, the rich man died and was buried. No doubt he had a funeral. No doubt he was eulogized. People spoke well of him. No doubt his corpse was treated with the dignity that his body was probably treated with. In other words, what you see here is, regardless of what happened in time, eventually there's a unifying, equalizing reality for all of us. The poor man died, the rich man died. The sick man died, the healthy man died. The friendless man died, the celebrity died. That could be a hook. Some died in honor, some die in shame. Some die in strength, some die in pain. Some die with money in the bank. Some die with creditors at the door. But in the words of Hebrews, it is appointed for us to die. And then to stand before the one, we have to give an account. What I'm here to say is, Lazarus, the one whom God helps, looks very unhelped by God. And the rich man looks like he's got all the help. Who would you want to be friends with? Who would you want to be? Who would you roll with? Who would you bring into your home? No doubt, you probably would choose the rich man. And you probably 
would just cast the poor man at the gate and wish him well. A contrast in two lives. But now the Bible wants to contrast two eternities. Oh, it says here that when the poor man died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, was buried, and in Hades, code word for hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. This is what we call the great reversal. The one who was carried to the gate, then carried to the dump, is now carried into heaven as though it were. He's now not the one who looks unhelped. He's the one who looks helped. He's angelically escorted to the chief Jew, the, 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 the patriarch of patriarchs, which is Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. In other words, Lazarus, who was at the gate looking for the crumbs, is now sitting at Lazar uh, uh, Abraham's side feasting because this idea of Abraham's side is a, is a picture of how Jews used to eat. Some of your versions may say Abraham's bosom. You may have heard of a place called Abraham's bosom. And to be in someone's bosom in their day was to sit and to recline with them. It's the way they ate. They reclined. And when you wanted to have intimate dialogue with somebody, you see this at the Lord's Supper where John is on the Lord Jesus' breast and he's asking him, so who's going to betray you? And it says that he leaned over on Jesus' breast. So this is a way of saying he was so close to Abraham that he was on his breast as though it were. This is a way of saying that he was carried into an intimate feasting fellowship with the one who for everyone is, he is the person you want to be gathered to and be with. Everyone knew that Abraham was with God. Everyone knew that Abraham was called a friend of God's. Everyone knew that Abraham had the favor of God. Everyone knew that Abraham had the honor of God. So for you to be ex brought in and allowed to sit at Abraham's table and to be so close to him that you're on Abraham's bosom it meant that now you are the honored guest the text wants you to see Jesus wanted his people to know that Lazarus who God has helped who in his life looked like God had forsaken was the one who you can see in eternity was the one that God had helped he's a guest of honor Lazarus is winning Lazarus beggar on earth is now baller in heaven in the words of one preacher Shut out from every table on earth is now the guest of honor in the table at heaven. Lazarus, the one whom God has helped. Contrast, the rich man. The rich man in Hades, being in torment, fully aware, lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham, knows that there's a party, far off and know he's not there. And he sees Lazarus, a guy he used to know was at the gate. Now he sees Lazarus at Abraham's table. Called out, verse 24, Father Abraham, oh, religious guy, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here 
and you are in anguish. A little caveat about parables, everything in a parable is not meant to teach us details and doctrine. Some of them are just to make the story the story. Again, when you cross over in eternity, you won't be able to see people who are in good standing with God if you're on the side of people who are, not, who are separated from God. The Bible doesn't say that angels actually grab people and fly them anywhere. That's just a way to tell the story. Caveats. But what you do learn about eternity is a few things, and let's look at them. First of all, in eternity, there is distinction that is made. One person is at a feast. The other person is in a flame. One person is with Abraham. The other person is alone looking across saying, Woo! Father Abraham, Lazarus is with those you want to be with. The rich man is alone. Lazarus is at a feast. Rich man is tormented. This is a reversal. He says in Hades, in Hades. Now, some people are going to get on us about Hades and our understanding of Hades. Hades is just a synonym for hell. And the synonym for hell, you know this because in the Old Testament, Hades is always contrasted with heaven. And so in heaven, Psalm, let's say Psalm 139, 8. If I ascend to heaven, if I, that's where you are. But if I make my bed in Hades or Sheol, that you, you're there. So in other words, God, you're familiar with two opposites in eternity. There are two distinctions. He's also conscious in eternity. He lifts up his eyes. That's just a way of saying because Jesus called hell a place of outer darkness. Outer darkness means that you can't see your hand in front of your face. Again, I have a bathroom in my home. There is absolutely no light whatsoever. And whenever I go in there, if the light ever goes off, I, I grope because I can't see anything, not even a glimmer. And therefore, Seeing Abraham and knowing there's Lazarus is just a way to say he was conscious. He was aware of what was going on. He's aware that he's not at the party. He used to throw the party, but he's not at the party. People say, I don't care if I go to hell. At least me and my friends are going to party. There will be no partying for people who are not at his party. He knows there's Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus. Because in time, Lazarus was on the outs, and eternity, the rich man, is now on the outs. He's on the outs of the kingdom. He's on the outs of a relationship with God, communion with God. For you note takers, Luke 13, 27 to 28, remember what Jesus says to some people after they said, Come on, Jesus, we, you know us, we cool. Jesus says to them, depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to be, you're going to be in agony, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. In other words, part of the Part of the, the, the trauma and the drama and the pain of eternity apart from Christ is you feel that you're not there. You feel you're outcast. You feel that there is something you wish you could be in, but you can't. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm only walking through the parable. 
Note that in eternity, he's also religious. He's still religious. He was religious, quote unquote, when he was alive in time. He seems religious now in eternity. Father Abraham, three times he calls Abraham his father. Father Abraham, he's appealing to his Jewish heritage. He's appealing to the fact he's an Israelite. He's appealing to the fact that Abraham is his father. He's from a culture where most people were under the rule of a theocracy. That's a God rule. So most people believed in God, even if it was kind of like a, a cultural belief in God. So he's pulling on the cultural, the church card. Father Abraham, three times. Father, Father Abraham. He's pulling on his status as a child of Abraham. Abraham in verse 25 says, my child, which means that Abraham is saying, yeah, you're a Jew. Yeah, you're an Israelite. Yeah, you're right. My child. Yet. You're in Hades. Newsflash, blueprint. Religious people go to hell. One bishop, J.C. Riles, quiet in here, isn't it? Thank you for the baby. The saddest road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. J.C. Ryle. Good people go to hell. Religious people go to hell. Preachers' kids go to hell. Pastors' kids go to hell. Churchgoers go to hell. Moral people go to hell. Philanthropists go to hell. One church rightly put up their sign, good people go to hell, saved people go to heaven. Only those who are the beggars like Lazarus find their cells as the ballers like Lazarus in eternity. Well, he's also unchanged in eternity. You would think that if somebody wakes up in hell, they come to their senses and they be changed. Okay, I was tripping. I was tripping. I repent. I repent. Jesus is Lord. Give me my Bible. Y'all got Bibles down here? No, that's not what you see. Hell, eternity. If you are lost without Christ, you don't get righteous all of a sudden. Watch this. He treats Lazarus in eternity like he treated Lazarus in time. He doesn't speak to Lazarus. Lazarus, it's me. I know you got a couple of the scraps from my house. I meant that. No. He doesn't even talk to Lazarus. He talks to Abraham. Abraham, I see you got old Laz. Send him to do my bidding. Send him with a drop of water. To comfort me, the very thing he would not give Lazarus in time, he wanted for himself from Lazarus in eternity, but he didn't think Lazarus would be the source of it. He figured Lazarus would just be the errand boy of it. He doesn't speak to Lazarus, but he notices him. Abraham says, child, remember, you had your heaven on earth, and now you are cut off from heaven in eternity. But Lazarus had his hell on earth, and now he's entered into heaven in eternity. Saints, I just want to tell you, if you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ and you were to die, this is the only heaven you will ever know. Sure, there's good days and bad days, sunny days. Maybe you'll get a nice car. Maybe your spouse is the shot. <laughs> Maybe your girlfriend is what you always dreamed of, your boyfriend, 
your promotion. But the Bible says that will be the only party and the only heaven you know. But believers, if you are in Christ, I don't care how bad it gets on this earth. The Bible says that this will be the only hell you ever know. Another thing we see is that it's final. It's fixed. Abraham keeps going. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. It's been fixed in order that those who would pass over from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. In other words, there is no purgatory. There is no going into the lobby, working, and then eventually saying, congratulations, you're ready to cross on over. There is no doctrine of purgatory. In other words, what the Bible is teaching is that this place in eternity, what we know as hell, the place where you go, if you don't go in relationship with God, redeemed by God, helped by God, brought to God, and you're left on your own, the Bible says that in that place it's fixed and it's permanent. You'll be separated, not just from God himself, but all his stuff. See, here we're born. That's what death means, separated. We're separated from God. But God still, by his grace, gives us access to his stuff. The Bible says that he causes his rain to fall on the good people and the bad people. The crook that's pulling capers is doing it by technology that God has blessed with. The person that's out here making lives miserable, they do it with the oxygen that he provides and the gravity and stability that he provides. Maybe even the speed that he's given them. Some of them have the hands that he's given them. Some of them say, hey, look, I was able to use this money to make this money to make this money. And now I have this scheme to make this scheme to do this scheme. And the Bible says all that you had access to when you cross over into eternity without Christ, you're not only separated from God, golf, you're separated from his table, his kindness, his grace, his goodness. And if you're upset at me today, let me tell you that it's the reason why I don't yell hell, but I must tell of hell. We tell you with tears in our eyes that hell is real. And it is not like people say Biggie Small said, when I die, I want to go to hell because I'm a piece of, and it's not hard to tell. I don't want to be in heaven with the goody goodies. I don't want to be with Lazarus. I want to wear Tim's and black hoodies. And he goes on and on. Biggie doesn't understand. He did not understand what life in eternity without Christ is and what life with Christ is. But you know what we do, right? When they die, we all throw them up over there with Lazarus. What the text shows you is we don't all just go to a better place. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Saints, would you pray for those who need to hear the glorious good news about Jesus Christ and the only way to go to hell and the only way to not go. Charles Spurgeon went on to say, if then you will be damned, let me have this one thing as a consolation for your misery, that you are not damned for the lack of calling after. You are not lost for the lack of weeping after. 
and not lost for the lack of praying after. It's quiet in here. If you will not have Christ, then heaven will say yes to your will and yes to your way. The dialogue continues and we're coming in for a landing. Note this takeaway. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. Here he is again. If he won't be the water boy, let him be the errand boy. Let him serve me as a preacher. If he won't serve me as a waiter. If you can't change me, change it for my family. You See, what you see here is that he is not in heaven because he was rich. In hell because he was rich. And Lazarus is not in hell because he was poor. The rich man is not in hell because his life was, he, he, he had the finer things in life. And Lazarus is not in hell because he did not have the finer things. That's not the reversal. The rich man is in hell and you can see it through this parable because he was his God. And his stuff was his God. It's about him. It's always been about him. It's about my family. It's about my torment. It's not about the one at the gate. He's self-absorbed, self-centered. He's his own God. Abraham says, listen, they have Moses and the prophets. Verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So here's the takeaway. One, you only go to heaven because you decide that you do not want what God offers. You are sufficient. Lazarus' name is God helps. Him who God helped. How will God help you? Or you got it. I'm good. Secondly, the scriptures, God will lead you and give you his help through his spirit as understood in the scriptures. To say they have Moses and the prophets is a way to say they have the, the scriptures, Torah. They have the Bible. Here again, you see the importance of Torah. Last time I preached, he said, hey, how, how do you have eternal life? Jesus said, well, what does the law say? In other words, why don't you go to your Bible? The Bible can tell you how you get eternal life. Now here we see it again. They have Moses and the prophets. What does the scripture say? This will keep your family from coming to the place of torment. And I'm saying to Blueprint today, the scriptures gives us the God's way to go to hell, to reject his only provided way as understood through his word. And it tells you how to escape hell. And that is to root yourself in Christ according to his word. The Bible says this is the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, it says Christ died for us according to the word, the scriptures. He rose according to the scriptures. In other words, the scriptures, you must believe what the scripture says about Jesus. Believe what the scripture says about yourself. Believe what your scripture says about your need. Believe what the scripture says about God's holiness. Believe what the scripture says. And then the Bible says, hear him. Look, let them hear them. Hear the word. In other words... This can't just be me talking and then me ending and then us leaving out the door without somebody hearing. That's why the Bible would say things like this. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. To people who have ears and could hear but can't seem to hear this. 
they have the scriptures. But look what he says, like some of us are thinking, verse 30. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If, you t- if they go to the Bible, they're going to look at it. They're going to kind of be confused. They're going to ask their friends. Their fr- they need somebody to come back from the dead. They need a miracle. They need something like that will blow their mind. And that's what we think, isn't it? They need the right preacher. <laughs> they need the right shenanigans. They need the right talent. If only you would have. The Bible says, verse 31, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There's another guy named Lazarus in the Bible, John chapter 11. He was raised from the dead. Afterwards, people didn't believe. <laughs> Later on, the Lord Jesus raised from the dead. The guards knew it. Somebody came to them and said, here, we're going to pay you some money. Just tell people that someone stole his body. In other words, someone did raise from the dead. And it doesn't necessarily make people believe. Here's the few takeaways as I'm coming in for a landing. One, as sure as there is time, please believe that there is an eternity, a conscious eternity, where you will be aware of it. Just like you're aware in time, you will be as where, if not more aware in eternity. There is a life and there is a life to come. There is a heaven, a place where God is central and his joy is forevermore. And there is a separated place, hell, as though it were. There is a here and there and now and there is a there and then. Please believe that too. What you do in this life affects that life. (laughs) What you do in time will determine eternity. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 for note takers. But when you go back, it says this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what you have done in the body. That's in time, whether good or evil. You will show up in eternity and give an account for what you did in time. Luke 16, 9, earlier in this chapter, says use money to create for yourselves friends who will welcome you in eternity. In other words, use your resources, use your clout, use your talents, use everything you have to see people show up in eternity and say, thank you. The Lord helped me through you, through your music, through your sermons, through your kindness, through your deeds, through your actions. Lazarus was the one whom God helps. How does God help? He helps through you. He helps through me. You gave me the gospel and use your your clientele for my sake. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, time, cannot kill the soul, that which will manifest in eternity. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All I'm here to say is live in light of eternity. Three, eternity confirms you. It doesn't conform you. Hell is not going to make people believe. It's going to make them harder. Look at any story of people in the afterlife. They're never changed. Just like this guy was not changed. They're they're confirmed. 
The Bible says that if you're in Christ right now, you're righteous. But guess what? We're not as righteous as one day we will be confirmed to be. In eternity, he will confirm the righteousness that he gave you in Christ. Our sister earlier today said, we don't have to wait to heaven. We don't have to wait to heaven. That's right. Because the Bible says that what's true in heaven is true already. Already? Not yet. The Bible says that what God has started in you, he will perfect then. The Bible says that what is true about you will be confirmed then. And if, you're, uh, if you don't want God now, you won't have God then. You'll be confirmed in it. If you don't want righteousness, the righteousness of Christ now, you won't have it then. You'll be confirmed in it. The Bible makes clear that eternity won't conform you to anything differently. It'll just confirm that you are who we thought you were. For... I'm coming to a close. One's relationship to God in time determines the relationship to God in eternity. Lazarus was called him who the Lord. Him who the Lord helps. He looked so unhelped. He looked so unhelped by God in time. He needed help to get to the gate. He needed you to let some food fall off the table. Let it be bundled up. Let it make its way to the gate. Let it fall out the bags so he could eat. He could not keep dogs from licking his sores. He was so weak. He needed help to get the dogs away from him. And these were not French bulldogs. These were not American bullies. These were not Shih Tzus and small cute dogs. These were scavengers or guard dogs. But Lazarus winds up with our Lord as though it were. Why? Because in time he had our Lord. So in eternity he had our Lord. What you want, if you don't want him now, you don't get him later. But if you want him now, if you say forget all this, I'm tired of just shooting up a flare up there. God doesn't want your occasional flares. He wants you in time. And then he gives you himself for eternity. Last one, five. True wealth and true winners are not revealed in time. They're revealed in eternity. There's a popular saying, time will tell. Time will tell. The Bible teaches eternity will tell more. Who's winning Who's wealthy? Who's blessed? Eternity will tell. Luke 16, 15, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. For us, is do you have money? If you get money, that's us. It's all about the money. Fame. Name recognition. Race. Accolades, acceptance, the things we lift up, God says, abomination. Who wants my help? Who knows they're really beggars? Who knows they're really in need of my grace? We all have a prosperity gospel, don't we, in us? Again, you know, for us, if something good happens for you, you say, God's plan. <laughs> Something bad happens, there ain't nothing but the devil. Let eternity weigh in.
I'm going to close. Luke 6, 21 to 26. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in eternity. <laughs> but woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. You shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you shall mourn. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. That's how they treated false prophets. If you don't get this principle right, you'll misjudge Jesus. Because when he was on the cross, according to Isaiah 53, he didn't have nothing that would make you want Jesus. Right now, you like Jesus, but back then you didn't. It's almost like Martin Luther King Jr. They didn't like Martin Luther King Jr. when he was on earth. Now he's got a boulevard and a holiday. They did not like Jesus. They said, crucify him, give us Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist. Isaiah 52 said he didn't have a form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. We despised him and rejected. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was like Lazarus. The thief on the cross saw Jesus bleeding and bloodied and left for dead, and he said, Remember me in your kingdom, because I can tell you not what your <laughs> preachers say. You don't look like what, what you're, you're not what, you're, what, what you've been through. All of these, 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 these classic lines. Jesus, you're not what this looks like. This is winning. The cross is you winning. Can I give you two more quotes and get out of here? Jupiter Hammond, I think I may have given you him this before, but a lot of y'all may not have been here. So Jupiter Hammond, first published uh, black man in America, 1711 to 1806, first published American, African-American poet. And he was talking to his people in the 1700s. <laughs> Look what he said. Brothers, many of us are seeking for a temporal freedom, and I pray that God would grant your desire. If we are slaves, it's by permission of God. If we're free, it must be by the power of the Most High God. Be not discouraged, but cheerfully perform the duties of the day, sensible that the same power that creates and sustains the universe can cause a universal freedom. And I pray that God may give you grace to seek that freedom which leads to eternal life. That's what he said in the 1700s. And I close with Lemuel Haynes, another black Calvinist who loved the people uh, of, of, of this land and thought, let me just use what I have for their sake. He says this at the end of his life, 30 years of pastoring, 30 years of waging war, got fired from his job after 30 years of serving a congregation because racism actually kicked in. And Lemuel Haynes, as he, he ends his life, he says this, you know, I've been examining myself and looking back upon my past life. I can find nothing in myself, nothing in all my past services to recommend me at the bar of Jehovah or Yahweh. Christ is my all. His blood is my only hope of acceptance. My pains are great, but blessed be God, they are not eternal. I long to be in heaven. Blueprint. There's time, there's eternity. Live in light of that. And if you're not saved in here today, 
I pray that nothing I did kept you from responding to an invitation. The Bible says that if you see yourself as a lowly sinner in need of a savior, if you see yourself as living a life that doesn't exempt you from needing the help of heaven, if you need God to bless you with sight to see and a heart to believe and secure you for a heaven that he has created and a new earth, then you can trust in him right now. I don't even know if this is out of pocket, but if that's you, why don't you slip your hand up? I'm not going to bring you up. I just want to know if I'm praying for anybody in this room that says, I sense that now. I sense that I want the God who helps sinners and beggars and people who have a lot of stuff but don't have a lot of him. If that's you in here, just slip your hand up, put it back down. I'm, I'm just wondering if you sense that. We have a lot of people here, and everybody probably is not one of his. Anybody as I pray? Anybody else? I got a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of him. Or I don't have a lot of stuff and I'm mad about it. So I, I should at least stock up on him because he helps people like me. Whether you have or you don't have, he's helped. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm about to pray. I'm about to go. You're about to go eat. You're about to go. You ain't got to sit at the table and watch for stuff to fall off. I'm about to pray. You're going to go and do what that man does every day. He lived sumptuously. Anybody else in here? Just slip your hand up. Put it back down. I want him. Heavenly Father, even if it's just one, Lazarus is one. Father, all we are praying right now is that you would help. If that brother who raised his hands, or at least that I saw, and anybody else in here is turning to Christ, you've promised that you would hear them and no way cast them out. You would draw them near, and then in time they would be drawn near. In eternity they would be drawn near, and that's a win-win. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us in here to appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of that blood to secure us. We pray that we will lose confidence in the flesh, confidence in our stuff, confidence in our accomplishments, confidence in what people say about us, good or bad, and that we would cast ourselves and our hope in you. Save today. And then assure them that when they cross over into eternity, they will be brought to you and not separated from you. Do these things, we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let that marinate. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.